Who enjoyed uh, Damien's message last week on Romans? Great overview of Romans. Fantastic overview. If you didn't, uh, if you weren't here, it is on our YouTube channel, so you can watch it and have a listen because it's very much worth it. Um, and the reason Damien did an overview of, of Romans is we're going to be looking at Romans chapter 12 over the next however long it takes, basically. So um, it could be a while. But we're going to you know, go through verse by verse and uh, a verse at a time and, and, uh, and have a look at it because it is a, it is a manifesto or a, 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 and I guess a template for how we live the Christian life. And um, I loved the scripture Damien finished with last week, which is Romans 8, uh, 1 and 2. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. I love the fact that God has set us free. They were once bound by sin, but because of what Jesus has done, and now through the Spirit, we have freedom. Isn't that cool? And even as Damien was sharing last week, I, sh- I shared this very fact. There's a gospel singer called Mavis Staples, and she sings a song uh, about change, and she says, what good is freedom if we haven't learned to be free? Think about that for a moment. What good is it to be free if you haven't learned to be free? When I think of that, I get that picture. Maybe you've heard this story of there was, I think it was in the Berlin Zoo, there was a bear who was in a cage. And the cage was a certain, like, 10 metres wide, uh, 5 metres deep. And this bear would walk from one side of the cage to the other, back and forth, back and forth. And after a while, the zookeepers and people just got felt sad for this bear because it was in this confined space. So what they did is they built around it this amazing like pen for it to live in and then they knocked over the cage and they let the bear free in this pen. And you know what the bear did? It walked 10 paces that way and then 10 paces that and just walked back and forth because it didn't realise how free it was. And this is the amazing thing about Romans 12 is it shares with us, it gives us a clear pathway how we are to live in this new freedom that we have found. That what this freedom looks like and how we can, through, the, through Jesus Christ and through the power of the Holy Spirit, how we can live in this amazing freedom that Christ has given us. Who would like to know that? It's, a, it's incredible. So today I'm going to share the first couple of verses of Romans 12 because they build a really strong foundation of how we are to respond to everything that God has done. Because it says in Romans 12, the very first word is therefore. Everyone knows therefore? What does it mean? Sorry? Have a look at what it's there for. So basically he's saying therefore... Because of everything I've just told you about, I've just told you about the freedom you found in Christ, I've found, told you about how you're no longer under the law of sin and that you now have this amazing new freedom and Christ has paid the price for it. God has given us all of this. And so therefore, how do we respond to that? And he says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's amazing mercy, 
to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your word being a mirror to us to show us your truth, to show us the reality of how we can live in your freedom. And we pray today that as your word goes out that you would transform our lives, that you would make us into who you've called us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. So the first thing I want you to grab from this scripture is this very simple truth. Sacrifice is still required. Sacrifice is still required. So after being reminded of God's great provision in the first 11 chapters of Romans, it would be easy for us to forget our responsibility that we have in this relationship. And as this verse says, Therefore, in view of God's amazing mercy... Give your bodies as a living sacrifice. In other words, we need to respond to God by offering our own lives to him. And this is really important for us to remember because in modern Christianity, especially in the Western world, we talk a lot about our needs. We talk about getting all we can out of God. And a lot of times we come to church on a Sunday because I need God to do this in my life. You know, I might need healing or I I need God to change this or or I need more money in my bank account or I need a new job and I need God to move in my life. And so we can be all about God providing for our current needs right now, often forgetting what he has already done for us. Isn't that right? We forget that he has set us free. And so we come to church because of what we need and we ask for God for this and for that and it's pretty apt at this time of year but sometimes God can become for us a Father Christmas and, that, and, and we expect him to meet all our every need, everything we have. But in our passage, this passage in Romans 12 verse 1, It makes it very clear that to have a healthy relationship with God, it's not about getting all you can from God, but rather about giving all you have to God. I'll say that again. Having a healthy relationship with God is not all about getting everything you can from God. I'm going to get this and I'm going to get that and I need this and I need that. No, it's more about giving all we have to God. You see, God's example to us, his example of giving us his very best, giving us everything we need in, in setting us free from sin and death and all these things, is exactly that. It's an example. It's an example for us to how we are to live our lives for him. Let me share a scripture with you from Corinthians that explains this a bit better. And I'll share it from the Amplified. And Paul says here, Do you not know 
that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is within you, whom you have received as a gift from God, and that you are not your own property. You were bought with a price. You were actually purchased with the precious blood of Jesus and made his own. So then, honour and glorify God with your body. So often when we're caught up in the now and here, and we're worried about, I need God to do this in my life, we forget that God has purchased us with his very own blood, as Dan shared today. And he has purchased us, and, and he has paid the price for us. He has bought us with a, with a price. He has given his absolute all for us. He paid a debt that we could never pay. And if you go by the Old Testament, it didn't matter how many animals you could sacrifice, it wouldn't have been enough. And so now it makes good sense that because God has done all that, that we are now to honour God with our lives. That we are to give our lives to God. So we say this often here, but it's not all about us. It's all about God and what he has done for us. And so our response, and, and because of everything that God has already done for us, then our response should be, as Romans 12.1 tells us, to give our bodies as a living sacrifice. Which brings me to my next point, which our bodies are enough to give. And this is quite amazing, because if you look at the scripture... Oops, where is it? Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Now, I looked up that, that part to offer your bodies. And so I looked up bodies in the Greek. And you know what I discovered it meant? Bodies. It's not saying... It's, not, it's literally not saying your life or yourselves as such, like a general, general sort of thing. It's actually saying your physical bodies. Now that, that sort of blew my mind a little bit because I, I started to think, why would God want my body? Like, why would he want my physical body? Who's been reading Romans during the week, as Damien asked us to? You read through Romans and you discover that your body is the seed of your flesh. And we all know that our flesh is evil. Our flesh is not right. Our flesh does all those things that we shouldn't do. It was from the, his flesh that Paul cried out, Why do I do the things that I shouldn't do, but don't do the things that I should do? Isn't that right? And so God's saying, I want your bodies. And I'm thinking, don't you realize, God, that my body is the source of many of my temptations? that it's that place where I hunger for all sorts of things, both good and bad, as most of you probably can testify. And, and this is the amazing thing, is that it is our bodies that God is asking for us to offer. And if you know about the law, the Old Testament law, when they had to bring an animal to be sacrificed, it had to be perfect. It had to be without spot, without blemish. It had to be 
a symbol of perfection. And I don't know about you, but when I think about my body, this is not a body of perfection. Trust me, it's got hair in all the wrong spots. It's, it's like, it's probably about five to ten kilos more than it should be. This is not, it's not a healthy body, it's got high blood pressure. It's, it, this body, it, if I don't put certain things on this body, it doesn't smell great. Trust, this is, this body, like, if I was saying to God, you want me to give my body as a living sacrifice, I'd be going, why do you want this body? What, what is the point? It's like, if I was really honest with God, I'd say, well, I don't even really want this body. <laughs> this body keeps helping me slip up and trip up and do the wrong things. And often this body is, is getting in the way of my relationship with you. Someone's happy? He doesn't need a mic. He's pretty loud enough. <laughs> but, uh, um, but the reality is our bodies are often the thing that get in, our, in the way of our relationship with God. Isn't that right? But this is what God says. He says, bring me your body. And in that statement, he says, give your bodies as a living sacrifice. He's saying, let me tell you something about your bodies. He's saying, I know all about it. I know your body better than you do. I probably know some stuff about your body that you don't even know about it yet. But I want to tell you something. By means of the blood of Jesus and by the work of the Holy Spirit, I have made your body holy and pleasing to me. Because that's what the passage says. That as we bring our bodies as a living sacrifice, it's holy and pleasing to God. See, this is the beautiful appeal of this verse. It's not telling us that we need to get all cleaned up, that we need to make ourselves perfect and straighten ourselves out and get ourselves in order before we can come to God, before we can offer ourselves to God. But the Bible is telling us to bring our bodies with all its problems, with all its difficulties, bringing it with all its temptations, bringing it just the way it is, redeemed by God. Our bodies have been redeemed by God. And so he says, bring your bodies to me. Your very flesh, bring it to me. And Eugene Peterson says it this way about sacrifice is that when you bring a sacrifice, you put something in God's hands so he can make something of it. And so we bring ourselves just as we are, faults and all, problems and difficulties and troubles. And we say, God, I'm yours. I give myself to you. And that's exactly how God wants us to be with him. And this is... As Damien shared last week, he was talking about the fact of the, the Christian Jews in, the, in Rome and the, the Gentile, Jews in, uh, Gentile Christians in Rome. And how the Christian Jews had left for a while and so the Gentiles were left to their own devices. And when the Christian Jews came back, they were like, oh, you're doing it wrong, you're doing this wrong. You're doing... And, and 
the, the Christian Jews were trying to mix the law with Christianity. They were trying to mix the law with this newfound freedom that God had given them. And, and if you read through other letters of Paul, he, he addresses this often where they try to add circumcision to being saved. That if you want to be right with God, you've got to also get circumcised. Or if you want to be right with God, if you want God to accept you, then you need to eat certain things and don't eat certain things and don't do this and don't do that. And so they were trying to add to this freedom. And in this, in this very picture uh, like of God asking us for our bodies as a living sacrifice, he's saying, I want you just the way you are. That you don't need to do anything. You just need to come to me. You don't need to, to do this or do that. You just come as you are. Come just as you are. And guess what? As a living sacrifice, he's saying, keep coming just as you are. Don't stop coming to me. Because your problems, you can't change them. I'm the only one who can change them, God is telling us. It's only by coming to me that you can see things change in your life. Jesus says this really powerfully in Matthew 11, 28 and 29. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. We have to be careful of not getting into the trap of doing. I need to do this, I need to do this. And many of the things we do are good. Like we need to pray, and we need to read the Bible, and we need to do... But these things are there to help us, not to trap us. And not to become a burden to us or a noose around our neck. Oh, I haven't read my Bible enough today, so God's not going to accept me. No, God says, come to me. He says, give me your body as a living sacrifice. As you are, come to me and keep coming to me. Don't let these things trip you up. But know that you are always welcome to come to me. This is what Jesus did. He, he made a way that we could enter the throne room of God boldly without any obstruction. He's, this is what he did. And this is what this, our bodies are enough for God. Don't ever think that anything you do could stop God loving you. But he continues to invite you because you need to understand you have been redeemed. You have been accepted. You have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus and you have been set free. God makes it very clear that the best thing we can do for God is give ourselves to him just as we are because he is the only one who can take it and make us holy and acceptable to him. The last thing I want to share with you today is that this new way of living requires a new way of thinking the verse verse 2 goes on to say do not conform to the pattern of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is his good pleasing and perfect will 
verse 2 makes it very clear that the pathway of giving and sacrifice is a pathway that does not conform to the pattern of the world that we live in. And so what's happening here is God is not just inviting us into this new way of living, but he wants us to understand that this new way of living starts with a new way of thinking. When Jesus was on earth, he described this as the kingdom of God. Isn't that right? So the kingdom of God is upon you. This is the, and some people talk about the kingdom of God as, as the upside-down kingdom. It's like in many ways it's so opposite to what we experience here on, on earth. And, it, and so the challenge that Paul is giving us is that you're no longer part of this world. You're no longer part of this world's way of thinking, but because you have given your bodies to God and, and pledged your allegiance to God, by laying your bodies as a living sacrifice on his altar, then you are now um, under his authority. And his authority is different to anything else you know. So he's saying don't be conformed to the way and the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now Martin Luther King says it this way, we are called to be a people of conviction, talking about the church, talking about Christians, we are called to be a people of conviction, not conformity, of moral nobility, not social respectability. We are called to live differently and according to a higher loyalty. So as Christians, this higher loyalty is to God's kingdom, to God's way of doing things. And these are often contrary to what we see around us. Uh, Jesus, while he was here on this earth, understood what this tension was all about, this tension between the world and God's kingdom. And, and, but he lived and taught us how we should address these things and how we should uh, challenge these things and how we should not conform to these things. Let me share with you some of these, these ideas that Jesus taught uh, uh, that showed that the world's thinking versus God's way of doing things or God's kingdom. And there's just a... I've got a bunch of them here for you just to give you a picture of how if you choose to be a Christian and if you choose God's freedom and you choose to ask him into your life and put your life in his hands, then this is the, the challenges that you're going to have. The first one says that when society would coax us to believe that our happiness consists of the size of our house and the car and the brand of our clothes and, and makes us look at our neighbour with envy, Jesus reminds us in Luke 12, 15, watch out, be on your guard against wanting to have more and more things. Life is not made, not made up of how much a person has. It's interesting. Then when we refuse to suffer for righteousness and choose to follow the path of comfort rather than conviction, of God's way, Jesus says in Matthew 5.10, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This is one for, for spiritual leadership. When spiritual leadership boasts about the size of their congregations and their titles and drive people to serve their vision, 
Jesus warns in Matthew 20, 28, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you, talking to his disciples. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. It's a bit opposite. Leaders are there to serve, not to be served. It's a challenge for the church today. Also, when because of compassionless detachment and selfish individualism, we fail to respond to the needs of the underprivileged, Jesus says in Matthew 25, 40, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. It's the story when he talks about visiting those in prison and feeding those who are hungry and clothing those who are naked. And he says, and the guys, the, the disciples say, when did we see you naked? When did we see you hungry? When did we see? And you said, when you did it to the least of these, you did it unto me. You see, as a church, we're called to be looking out for the underprivileged. We're called to be looking out for those who are disadvantaged. This is the way the kingdom of God works. That no one's left behind. That everyone is valuable. Everyone is worthy of God's love. No matter what they've done or who they are. And so this is our challenge even at Christmas. This is why we go and do two pop-up kitchen Christmas dinners. Because we, we want to bless as many people as we can with God's love. And that's why we invite you to be a part of that. Because we want you to be a part of this blessing of living contrary to the world where let them do what they want or they deserve what they get attitude. No, God loves them as they are, as hard as that is to comprehend. When we allow hate towards those who are different to us and those who hurt us to drive us to revenge and exclusion, Jesus teaches in Matthew 5.44, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. The world's attitude is, if you're different, I don't want anything to do with you. Go back to where you came from. You're not like me, then you're not with me. But Jesus says, love those who are different from you. Pray for those who even persecute you. Let your mind be transformed by being renewed with what, with what Jesus is saying to us. And finally, when in our pride we boast about how spiritual we are, when we think we're so good and we've got it all together, Jesus warns us in Matthew 21, 31, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. He said this to the Pharisees of his time when they thought they were so spiritual and they had it all together and they knew everything that needed to be known about God. And Jesus said, be careful because actually you might just be missing the boat when you're caught up in your own self-importance. But God is wanting those who are humble and those who know their need to come to him and to rest in him those who say, I come just as I am. 
You know, I read a, just to finish up today, I read a really interesting story this week in our devotions in Mark chapter 8. And uh, it's the story of when Jesus asks his disciples, who do you say I am? And you know the story. Peter says, you're the Christ, you know, the Son of God, the Messiah. The, you know, and, um, and Jesus said, well done, you know, good on you, Peter. You've, done a, you've had a good thing. You've done all of that. And it says a little bit later, Jesus, if you read on, it, Jesus starts to tell them that he must be persecuted and he's going to come into trouble and tribulation and he's going to be arrested and killed and then he'll die and rise again. And in this passage, Peter pulls him aside. I'll read a bit of it for you. It says that Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him. So he began to tell Jesus off, saying, don't talk about this, Jesus. And, and you think about it, one minute Jesus is saying, who do you say I am? And Peter's going, you're the Messiah, you're the Son of God, you're the Christ. You're... And and, and and he, Jesus goes, well done, Peter. And so he's praising him. So Peter's going, this is good. Uh, and the reality is, for the Jews, when they talked about Messiah, they saw the Messiah as setting them free from what they were in at that moment. And so Peter's thinking, okay, I'm with Jesus. I'm one of his right-hand men. I'm with him. And so he's obviously going to overthrow the Romans and set us free and everything's going to be good. And I'm going to be amongst it. So how good is this? I'm going to be... Jesus' right-hand man, this is fantastic. And then Jesus starts to talk about dying. And he starts to talk about all the, and being persecuted. And he's going, this can't be right. This is wrong way of thinking. And so Jesus, Peter goes to Jesus and says, hey, this, stop talking like this. It's not. And Jesus reprimands him. And he doesn't reprimand him lightly. I'm reading this from the Amplified. Let's read it here. He says, but turning around... With his back to Peter. So he turns around to everyone who's listening and all his other disciples. He puts, turns his back to Peter. So imagine Julie's Peter. So. And, he, and, and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter saying, get behind me, Satan. So one minute Peter's the top of the pops and now he's Satan. But he says these really interesting words. For your mind is not set on God's will or his values and purposes, but on what pleases man. This is what Romans 12, 2 is talking about. That we need to not conform to the ways of the world, the things that please us and make us feel good about ourselves. No, we need to be transformed by the renewing of our mind, knowing God's will and his values and purposes. And then Jesus goes on to explain this. He says, called to the crowd together with his disciples and said to them, if anyone wishes to follow me as my disciple, he must deny himself. What's it say? What's that mean? Set aside selfish interests. It's not about me anymore. It's about God. And take up his cross, exp expressing a willingness to endure whatever may come and follow me. Believing in me, conforming to my example in living, and if need be, suffering or perhaps dying because of faith in me. Who signed up for that? It's a sobering thought, isn't it? 
For whoever wishes to save his life in this world will eventually lose it through death. But whoever loses his life in this world for my sake and the gospels will save it. What's it say? From the consequences of sin and separation from God. Jesus' example showed us that Christians must never surrender our loyalty to our time-bound customs or our earth-bound ideas. But at the heart of the Christian faith is a higher reality. And that higher reality is God's kingdom of love. God's kingdom and God's way of doing things. Jesus showed us that he marched to the beat of a different drum. And we are called to do the same. But this is only possible, church, this is only possible, as Romans 12 tells us, by changing the way we think. And I want to show you in 2 Corinthians 10.5 how we do this. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 10 verse 5, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself, sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. Just as I've listed all these ways that Jesus responded to the temptation of being conformed to the patterns of this world, the challenge for us is that we do the same thing as Jesus commanded by renewing our minds with the words and commands of Jesus. And when we do this, Romans 12 explains that we will discover God's perfect will. And if I could explain what God's perfect will is for our life, God's perfect will for your life is not that you would be a pastor. God's perfect will for your life is, life is not that you would make millions of dollars. God's perfect will for your life is not that you'd become a doctor and, and help heal lots and lots of people and save them from death. That's not God's perfect will for your life. I'm not saying that that might not be God's plan for your life, but God's will for your life is that you would become more and more like Jesus. That is God's will for your life. That we would, as it says in Romans 8, 28, 30, we would be conformed into the image of his son. It says there, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn amongst many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. Dan said it so powerfully. We're no longer sinners, we're now children of God. And so God's will for our lives, God's perfect will for our lives, is that we would become more and more like Jesus. And there's no way to become more and more like Jesus other than to spend time with Jesus. And the best way you can spend time with Jesus is reading about him in God's word. 
and discovering who he is and how he how his heart beats and then you as you're with him more you become like him more isn't that right and we also become more and more like jesus when we hang around together and iron sharpens iron and we encourage one another to be more and more like jesus so let me say this as we journey through the rest of romans 12 let's see god's plan on how let's see it as god's plan on how we can become more and more like jesus because that's what romans 12 is all about number one what's the first thing it tells us to do give our bodies as a living sacrifice what did jesus do gave his body as a sacrifice becoming more and more like jesus i sacrifice what i want to do for what you want me to do god help me to live the way you've called me to live and so just like jesus it begins by giving ourselves to god just as we are so he can make us into who he has planned us to be amen so that's the beginning of what we're looking at in Romans 12. It begins with sacrifice. It begins with laying your life down, taking up your cross and following him. And we are, the only way we can do it is allowing our minds to be transformed. That we need to not be conformed to everything that the world tells us, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind with Jesus' words, with Jesus' teaching, with Jesus' way. He is our example. And that's how we do it. Let's pray. Lord, we begin this journey at a place and a point of decision. A reminder that you invite us into this relationship with you just as we are. Broken, hurting, damaged, nowhere near perfect. But you say that's okay because what I've done for you will redeem you and change you and transform you into my child. So just put your faith in me and let me do what I need to do. And so, God, today we bring ourselves to you as a living sacrifice. Reminded it begins with sacrifice. And, God, help us. Help renew our minds, Lord God. Help renew our minds with who you are so that we can live according to your purposes and plans, not for our own selfish desires, but for you. Help us even this week as we go out not to be conformed to the patterns of this world. But even everything we do, let us be reminded of your words, Lord God. Your words to love others, to love those who persecute us, to pray for those who are hurting us, Lord God. To live in a place of forgiveness, Lord God, not a place of revenge. Lord, in all these things I pray. Help us to live for you, in Jesus' name.
Amen.